Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Better Tech. I'm Yasser Rizwan Sakkar and with me I have Ritesh uh, Bildwa and uh, so, so we'll be talking about uh, the series that we are already doing on AI and the, the, the utility of AI during software development and all of its phases. So Ritesh, so just brief, uh, introduce yourself briefly and let us know about yourself and the, the, the work you're doing. For sure. Uh, yeah, so hi everyone. Um, I am Ritesh and I'm the CTO here at Trevelio Labs. And uh, primarily, like uh, the role sort of envisions like leading the engineering effort. But uh, I like apart from doing that, I'm sort of like involved in uh, uh, sort of optimizing our uh, like uh, data flow processes within the company. So Revelio itself is a very data intensive company in terms of like uh, the analysis that we do in terms of the insights that we want to show our clients, and uh, they generally involve like handling like vast amount of data essentially and then and we want to be able to do those things quickly and on sometimes on the fly for our clients so understanding uh, how these processes work and optimizing those is are sort of the things that interest me the most and uh and i sort of like uh, work on but uh, obviously I'm, I'm sort of like uh, my hands are into like uh, all the things that we're trying to sort of span out across the company uh, based on like uh, data engineering, software development, sometimes even uh, talking to the data science teams, uh, etc. Yeah. So I was actually going through your profile, and uh, you started as data engineer, and 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 the, the kind of software that I that I imagine that you would be developing would be around data, data intensive yes. application, and I can imagine with the pipelines you are building and then processing that data and then doing something with the data or, or analyzing that data or then generating some kind of analytics or uh, forecasting kind of stuff. So uh, take us through the journey. How do you, uh, I mean, is there a, a place where you are using AI to do this more efficiently? For example, are you using uh, uh, AI to probably uh, enrich your data or do data corrections or detect data, data issues, that kind of stuff? Just Take me through this process. Yeah, so uh, there are certainly like AI involved, uh, obviously on heavily on the data side, right? So, uh, for example, uh, data in the real world has a bunch of issues. Uh, you know, there could be missing data, and then um, the the problem that we tackle a lot is that there are biases present in real world data, right? Because uh, uh, there's only a certain sample of the whole universe that's present uh, that is uh, publicly available that you can uh, uh, that's available to us on which we can trade so even when you see these results like uh, 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 we have like models in place which uh, perform corrections on top of this but now as you mentioned like this whole thing like follows like a uh, it's, it's like a pipeline cycle right so First of all, that uh, that and we have our ingestion flow, right? Um, so, which is responsible for collecting the raw data, which is like how things look uh, exactly publicly available things, uh, and we collect that data and ingest uh, into uh, the values where uh, data warehouses essentially. And um, after that, obviously, uh, the simple thing which every data pipeline has is like we have to perform a bunch of cleaning, make sure things look sane everywhere. 
and uh, those are like sort of deterministic checks we can which we can do easily but after that like it branches out into a star kind of pattern where uh, different models based on the type of corrections or type of biases they are handled to deal with sort of handle the subsets of data they, uh, they want to fix essentially and um, part of this is about like uh, fixing the data itself Part of that is about like augmenting the data with like uh, uh, better insights, uh, essentially, or the metrics which our clients are interested in uh, about understanding the data which we populate the data with. And uh, after those uh, predictions happen, it again sort of like comes back to where we combine all those uh, predictions together to sort of form uh, something which we call the source uh, of the um, source of truth tables uh, uh, within the value. And from there, uh, the next journey of the data starts essentially where, you know, uh, how we deliver data to the clients. Like uh, it could be through the UI, it could be through a simple like UI application where you can very quickly query the data and uh, see what kind of insights you're interested in. Or sometimes, uh, which uh, some of our clients are very like uh, uh, quant heavy, but they would rather look at the complete picture of the data. So we give them the complete data sets uh, uh, for, for which we create and uh, uh, those get delivered via different mechanisms and databases uh, or like uh, S3 shares. So that's the complete life cycle. And uh, the point which you touched on where like AI comes becomes the most important is sort of like where the things branch out for the prediction. And then there are certain models which only happen uh, at the runtime when some, some client sort of says, oh, I want to look at this kind of data, but uh, it still may have like an incomplete picture of the data. And there are certain models which actually are executed at runtime to correct for those biases on the sample of data someone is looking at. So those are the two sort of domains where um, the AI is extensively used essentially in terms of prediction and augmentation of the data. So, yeah. Great, great to know. So, uh, so, uh, uh... Do, do you guys do regular software development along with data data pipeline development? Yeah. I'm assuming that yes. you, didn't, you do software development to consume that data also. And exactly, so are there any avenues where you are utilizing uh, uh, AI to enhance your productivity? Or, for example, some yeah. guys are using copilot kind of thing and a few other techniques. So, yes. what are the areas that you are you're you're, you're right. using? So. Uh, for sure, like uh, um, as you as you already mentioned, like Copilot, right? It's it's a very good uh, 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 sort of uh, a suggestive tool that you can integrate right into the code editor that you're using. So um, a lot of my uh, a lot of the team members have uh, that integrated into their IDEs. Um, I know uh, uh, one of like uh, uh, the colleagues, like uh, my colleagues, like Patrick, he also uses Chat GPT as well directly. So, and I am also starting to use that and it's sort of becoming um, uh, very crucial to our workflows, especially for on the chat GPT size for ad hoc tasks, right? Like uh, where you just want to quickly throw around the script because, uh, you know, someone asked something for a quick analysis and it's not a part of the regular software stack, but you want to just uh, do something on the side, some, uh, uh, bring up a quick analysis for someone. And that's where there are two kinds of modes of like uh, AI driven development. Like one is the co-pilot driven and one is the chat GPT driven uh, for the adult tasks essentially, so, yeah. So what kind of challenges are you facing while employing this? Or, or is this a simple breeze 
No, it's it's not uh, certainly a breeze. I think uh, uh, I think uh, for chat GPT, for example, for ad hoc tasks, it's kind of becomes like a prompt engineering uh, issue. Because uh, let's say, oh, uh, you have to uh, uh, just read a certain files from S3 and just put them into a data frame and be, uh, put them into a database and give them access to, I don't know, a certain number in the modeling team. It's like a simple task. But uh, certain times, uh, uh, you know, as you ask ChatGPT to write these things out, it obviously faces errors, right? And then you have to then uh, reconvene back to ChatGPT that, oh, these are the errors I faced. Um, and then it uh, brings you back, oh, maybe you should try this out. So uh, instead of, uh, uh, you know, you sort of ourselves uh, writing the code ourselves, it sort of becomes more of a review process as someone else is generating the code. So it's, um, uh, yeah, so for the ad hoc class, it's, it's a quick thing because uh, if you have to go through that whole exercise yourself, um, you, you basically save a lot more time because the generation is taken care of by someone else, but you now have the more important task of making sure uh, to review it. Uh, so the uh, I would say the attention span uh, where initially it was also spent heavily on development now gets uh, transferred to more of a review stage. Oh, like, okay, it's not working. Like, how did we fix it? And so that's the challenges for the chat GPT style like ad hoc tasks. For ID-based things, which Copilot uh, sort of like uh, gives us, it, it, it is, again, kind of like a similar issue, but not uh, in a complete sense. Um, in the sense that, uh, you know, it will give you good prompts, essentially. So it, it, it's a good way to clear a mental block. Oh, this is, I want to get started with this. Suggest me something really quick. And then, you know, you can get started with it. But uh, Copilot is certainly not yet reliable if you have to uh, uh, get the best performance out of the system. And you have to be careful about uh, what it has actually written out. It's really good at uh, extending the strategy, let's say, if you have certain strategies written out in terms of a bo logical boilerplate, for example, and that you want to just reuse that boilerplate for a certain other part of your code, it can understand that uh, sort of translation. And that's where like the speed really happens. If you don't have to mess around with it, it really understands like, okay, this matches the previous interface and I can just uh, reconstruct it here as well. So uh, in that sense, like uh, uh, Copilot is also pretty useful in the normal software stack too. So have you analyzed this uh, thoroughly? Do you think you end up saving time or spending more time in finding the, the little issues that they, that they, that are hidden in the code? Uh, I think, um, as I mentioned, there's like a, a, um, a certain, uh, I mean, the idea of reviewing the code will always exist, like whether it's written by a human or an AI because they are powering like production applications. Um, I would say, the the time that was spent initially like whilst getting started on uh, something new or um, augmenting a fix essentially yeah. uh, which people used to go to google go to stack overflow and then try to find out like what the best answer is how it can be integrated into my application how do i change that uh, piece of code that has been uh, suggested by people um, it really takes the burden off of that uh, sort of uh, uh, the time that gets spent there and in that sense, yes, it, it, it is a time saver. But, uh, uh, but I would still say um, you have to watch out for uh, the logic that has been suggested. And sometimes those tiny mistakes, um, I would say it's like a review cycle thing, but 
just clearing that mental block for you where it, it just quickly suggests something for you to get started on. I think that's yeah. like a very big, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, weight off any developer's shoulders and they can get started very quickly. Yeah. I think uh, this will take some time to mature. I, I myself am not now, not fully, because uh, I've seen scenario where we go with first solution, first suggested solution. For example, if chat GPT or yeah. Copilot is not there, we go to Google and find out a solution for something and you, there is a solution, you go with that solution. But then if you have not done your complete R&D, that first solution may not be the optimal solution. So, and exactly. if somebody suggests you the first solution and it works, uh, that may not be the optimal solution uh, compared to if you do a proper R&D and look for all other exactly. options. It's, it's not just like a, if it just works, it could be working. The other point could be it sometimes ends up being inefficient. And I'll be honest, like a, for example, just a simple case, you know, just uh, writing a sorting code, right? Like if you ask like a chat to your profile, if you suggest that, uh, oh, uh, give me a quick sort application. Um, it'll end up, uh, and I've tried this sometimes, it'll end up giving us snippets of code which uh, tend to use extra memory. And quick sort is the kind of application which you can do without using extra memory, right? And uh, the, the, the whole point becomes that, okay, in certain areas, those resources uh, which are getting used in the code are really critical for us. Uh, and we may not want to just uh, just use that, uh, as you mentioned, the first answer straight away. So you have to sort of watch out for, for things in that sense. Right. So if you're a skillful person, you will use it intelligently. Otherwise, yeah. it may be due to wrong solution, but probably not so often. Exactly. So. Yeah. So where do you see the market trend is going with all this, all these tools that are becoming available to developers? Yeah, I think uh, the market trends would be very uh, are interesting. I feel like uh, for uh, senior developers, it's like a very helpful tool because you know they can uh, oh what this is the suggestion. I know what the strategy should be. These are the corrections I need to make essentially to just get this working in the correct way. Um, so for them, uh, for sure, like it's it's an amazing tool, and then. I'm sure like a lot of senior developers are, are already like utilizing this. I know uh, for certain people that they are actually utilizing it to, uh, to the fullest extent. But um, I feel like uh, there is a, um, a sort of a feeling for uh, junior developers, which I'm sort of like uh, scared about uh, a little bit because it will lead to tendencies. Uh, if you imagine, you know, sometimes you look at a task and you have confidence going in. Oh yes, I will be able to handle it. But then you have then you have to do it yourself uh, mm -hmm. without the availability of the AI. It, it could uh, it would be uh, sort of tricky for you. Oh, I never face these issues essentially. So uh, in terms of market trends, uh, I would say that it would become like a good assistant for people, and not just for Copilot. It will have like way more um, users, like uh, you know, helping figuring out like what's wrong in your pull requests essentially or helping you to understand documentation better, which would be insanely good. Like right now, I think it's not there completely, but oh, just uh, give me a snippet of code which matches this documentation and you can jump directly to it. Uh, those kind of uh, features uh, would really, really, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, concentrate very quickly towards, especially the, like the skill developers, and it will increase their productivity amazingly. So, uh, for those uh, kind of things, I say I think the adoption rate is going to be very high, and we've already noticed this. I know, like uh, a lot of teams, at least in the 
uh, in the tech space on the West Coast, essentially, they are using it a lot. But uh, in the finance space, for example, it's tricky uh, because uh, there are a lot more like compliance-based regulations which people have to adhere to. So the adoption rates might differ, but certainly like uh, it's it's going to be something which which is going to uh, enter the uh, you know the tool set of all developers very quickly. Right. So, uh, so, so we are also a, a software development uh, shop. We, we run a separate business also. And there are a few ideas that we are exploring and it might be interesting for you also. For example, there are some uh, very mundane, not very mundane, but very uh, tasks where you can generate some, for example, from the requirements, as you said, that you can generate code. So, so using this uh, chat GPT kind of thing, you can generate a baseline code. So we thought that maybe from requirements, you can generate test cases also, functional test cases. So that was so we were able to do that also, and from requirements, you can generate the acceptance criteria also and alternate alternate scenarios also. And I think those kind of area where you have the base requirement uh, with you, you can generate this kind of uh, help documentation, which is not with which are typically engineers are not very keen to write or they, they tend to ignore those. Things. And you can just take help to this. Uh, I am a little bit, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it, I have like mixed feelings about this essentially. So the issue is like, uh, it's very easy to write like uh, less impactful and very noisy tests in the sense like, oh, let's, let's say for example, I have a function written to just like, I don't know, pick the maximum element out of it. Do I need a test for that function? Not really. Uh, that can be fashioned by someone. Else. But like if there's like a very crucial piece of uh, complicated complex logic, that's written somewhere for sure, because the AI would already know how the code behaves in that sense. And if, ideally the best case would be that if it can generate fuzzy inputs for you, which is like the hypothesis testing, which, you know, the production environment, which, which we tend to not observe during dev uh, or something, right? And it can show you like, oh, these are the test cases that I tried it without any fail for those things. Do you think those are acceptable inputs? And it can help you drive those things better, but the, uh, for now, I'm a little bit uh, scared that people may utilize like a co-pilot to just write like very large amount of tests which are not that useful and they just increase the size of the code base by a lot, which makes it like you know less readable. And uh, so, if we can get towards like a very uh, uh, towards that channel where it's writing those meaningful tests which are uh, uh, you know responsible for handling like complex things and also like uh, direct developers towards fixing those things for sure uh, that's going to be like an awesome addition towards that but uh, like i said like low volume noisy or like high volume noisy tests is something like uh, something to watch out for as well so with all of these uh, positive things happening and people adapting to this thing and all of those apprehensions where do you see the world is going are we going towards like uh, all software being written automatically we just say it and the software is out there uh not really you see i think uh you see this whole concept then becomes a fact of like how these tools come up essentially like where is the creativity coming from and uh, uh i mean that's why like uh, also in the space of like the libraries and codes there are licenses that are that exist right so uh i think the whole part of the, the innovation and like how new things come up or that still sort of resides, uh, I think, uh, with the humans. I don't, I haven't seen like truly like a very 
insanely complex and very beautiful written code like by Copilot yet in you know in very like critical applications that we have for example. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, it will be aiding um, everyone to get to that point uh, essentially uh, quickly. So uh, it, it would be interesting to see uh, how that sort of transition happens. Because right now there's like a big gap, I feel like in terms of uh, where the most complex system stands and what Copilot is able to contribute to them. It, uh, yes, we have captured the low hanging fruits, but I feel like the, the gap is still large enough, uh, which needs to be crossed essentially before we can sort of make that claim that uh, yes, it can, uh, we can be in a state where we can trust the complete development cycle by AI itself. Right. So any last words, Ritesh? Uh, yes, I would, uh, last words, I would uh, certainly like uh, advise people to start using the tool. Like it's certainly helpful that uh, they can, uh, uh, you know, uh, increase their productivity by a lot. Uh, but again, there's uh, two facets to this. Uh, for senior developers, go for it. For Especially for junior developers who are learning uh, programming right out of the universities and something, I would still, uh, sort of uh, recommend to them to gain a command of the language, use the tool in the right sense so that you also understand what's happening. Because as uh, you know, as soon as more and more of this tool gets used, essentially there is going to be a high volumes of code that's uh, now going to be written out. But the most important aspect would still be that you know, if something goes wrong, like how do you fix things? And for that, like understanding of everything is going to be paramount essentially. Um, so uh, still like for the younger developers, I would advise the people uh, write the code themselves to utilize this tool in a beneficial manner and then start taking advantage of like, okay, how you can uh, you know use this tool without uh, losing the aspect of learning things essentially. So yeah, that's right. basically the, the message is do not be fearful, but be cautious and be careful. Exactly, yeah. Thank you so much, Ritesh. It was a pleasure uh, having you on this talk. And uh, see you later. Bye. Bye. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.